Welcome back to the DC Treecast, episode 25. You've made it, guys. Big time. Um, I'm Brian. With me, as always, our Vince and Zach. We are proud members of the Multiversity Podcast Network. Go to multiversitycomics.com right now. We will wait. Check out all the good stuff that's on there. Podcasts, news, reviews, commentary, everything you want from a comics website. Hopefully, we have Multiversity Comics. And today... Today, we are here to talk about some Rebirth comics. For the first time in a few weeks, we have a new Rebirth special. We have Justice League Rebirth number one, written and illustrated by Brian Hitch. Um, I guess let's dive right in. What did you guys think of this issue? Um, I actually kind of liked it. <laughs> yeah, I did too. I, I didn't think it was anything amazing, but it, it did a lot of... It did a lot of little things that aren't really special at all, but were were very welcome, kind of refreshing. And and what I mean by that is, um, well, like the major thing is that the Justice League felt like a team that like it came, felt like a Justice League book, absolutely. Yeah, that and they mm-hmm. like they care about one another, you know. Um, I I. I could do without the whole, like, we don't trust the new Superman yet thing, but that's kind of a function of... That's one of those necessary evils that we just have to deal with for a while because of the function, you know, that Rebirth is, you know. Um, mm. But the thing that I liked about it was that they, they felt like they cared about one another, genuinely, and uh, Hitch accomplished that through really simple dialogue like there's nothing like i don't know that hitch is a is a great writer or anything but you know just having arthur kneel down by wonder woman and say i can't imagine your pain diana are you okay that's really simple like it doesn't take a genius to come up with that line or or like a great writer to to spin that dialogue but it's just a little moment that he took time to do and it's something that's been missing for a while, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, while I think that this issue has some questionable artwork in it, I think there's very little questionable dialogue or storytelling in there. And I wouldn't have expected that from a hitch book. I thought it would be the opposite way, whether it be great artwork, but, you know, some questionable plot devices or whatever. And I actually felt that the plot was handled pretty well. I think it did a nice job of introducing... The two Green Lanterns to the team. Uh, they felt like the same characters we're reading in the Humphreys book, which is a nice thing. I understand the fear of the new Superman, but I think that it was handled in a respectful way. Where nobody's saying, like, this guy is a sociopath, we have to protect ourselves. Just saying, he's unknown, we have to make sure that he's okay. Uh-huh. You know, I-, I thought it was all handled pretty well. Yeah, I agree. I, um, I, you know, I thought this was some of Hitch's better work in a while. Not that I, you know, this felt like this just took me back to you know reading the Authority for the first time, mm-hmm. which I feel like was kind of his peak, maybe. And I don't know. It just felt like a big. It felt like a flagship book, just in terms of like its presentation, 
which I like. Um, but yeah, I mean, everything, it, it wasn't, it's, it's pretty much falls into like the same trap that all of the other rebirth books have fallen into. I think, you know, where it's just like, it's just there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but it was, um, it was enjoyable. I, did anybody else get, uh, big mass effects? <laughs> catch the mass effect reference well brian didn't brian probably nope. didn't nope <laughs> so in mass effect i was too distracted by wonder woman looking like I, I don't even know what one of these pages I've, I've been trying to figure out what male celebrity she resembles oh, and I, I i can't tell it's a really there's some really sketchy artwork in here i just think the faces are a little weird um yeah but zach finish your thought on mass effect because i i didn't catch this either but i think i know what you're talking about well, so in Mass Effect, there are the the like primary antagonists are these this race of like mechanical aliens called Reapers that look like robotic octopi, and their sole purpose is to wipe out like all life in the galaxy. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, I saw the like face sucking octopi things Star-O. as being. Yeah, as Starro, exactly. As like a as like a Starro reference. Well, but they like he talks about Starro in this. Yeah, doesn't he say something he, like I wish this yeah. were Starro? Yeah. Or or they there was like when Superman is monologuing, he's like, you know, they survived Starro, they survived Rao. They which of course he has to mention Rao. Right. Um <laughs> they survived Darkseid. Um so it, you know, it made it sound like this is something different. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 But it did. It so. did like do the face sucking thing, and it was tentacles. So. Yeah. I, I thought it was a. It was kind of a semi callback. I. I would think. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah, I like. I, um... I, I even liked the art, aside from most of the faces. The faces were just so wonky. Yeah. The. Yeah. That is. Like Barry's head looks like it's made of Play-Doh in some of these. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I thought yeah, I thought the new he drew the new Batman suit really well. Yeah, I thought it looked really good. Mm-hmm. Costumes are perfect. Ten out of ten. Costumes are perfect. <laughs> ten no, out so of like ten. one one thing B-Man, like man <laughs> Hitch Hitch does it and J G Jones like something about their Batman. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like the way they draw the eyes. I do know what you mean. Yeah. I always like I as well know what you mean. There there was one um, page in particular where I thought his Batman looked very Michael Keaton-esque. <laughs> yeah. And I don't mean that as a negative. Uh, you know, Michael Keaton's a national treasure and should be celebrated as such. But I was just, I, I was sort of taken by that. Like, oh, that's very Keaton-ish. Um, anything else you want to say about this issue? No, it was good. It was a promising start, I think. I'm I'm actually excited. I mean, I re- I started I I liked Hitch's JLA at first and then I kind of fell off like I don't know. It got kind of weird. Like I I think he gets the characters, but then like in his in his last series, he kind of had Batman say some like weird shit that Batman would never say. Like out of left field. You know what I'm talking about? He said something about like I I wanted to kill them too or something like that, but 
I don't know. I, I don't remember that. No. I don't know if I saw. We'll be talking later about things Batman would never say. Oh, but great. We'll, um... Yes. <laughs> Again. Um. So one thing though, I wanted to talk about with this is what do you think DC's approach to continuity is right now? Be- okay. Because I. I feel like we've gotten this like new Superman meets the justice league bit at least two or three different times now. Well, we've seen it in Superman proper. Uh huh. We've seen it here. And do we see it in rebirth? Like the DC universe rebirth or mm. they, didn't they talk about it? Like, wasn't he like, I, I gotta go talk to the league or something like that. They're maybe of me, Lois. I like how your your Clark is borderline Roddy Dangerfield. <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't, get, no respect I don't get no Justice respect League. in this yeah. Justice League. Kind of sounds like the end of Dio showed up to and this they, uh, <laughs> this party, but yeah. And then they they beat this tentacle monster, and he goes, "We're all gonna get laid." Yeah. Um. No, yeah. Zach, I I know what you're talking about, and my what I thought about that is DC. So when they came out with the new 52, they talked about how everything was going to be this tight continuity with lots of crossover, etc. You know, and they did that for a little while, and then everything went off the rails, right? Like maybe six to eight months in. And I feel like this time around, they are being so careful about how all this stuff interacts that they are going to show it to you in multiple books, even if it's from like slightly different perspectives or or execution wise, you know, like even if it happens in a slightly different way, at least if you're not reading that book over there and you're reading this book over here, you get the idea that, oh, the new Superman has to meet with the Justice League for the first time, you know. It may mm-hmm. have it may have happened in another book, but if you weren't reading that book, we're putting it in every book where it matters, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I, so far I, I don't I don't think that that's hindered anything yet. No, I think I think that's fine, and I, I honestly kind of like that. It's a, it's like a looser take to continuity, um, where like the idea is preserved, but it's just presented differently and i feel like a lot of people could get really hung up on that because go ahead sorry oh I, because there's just like you know some people really like that tight you know this is a this is a continuous story that i can piece together um without any conflicts but i think comics work better when you aren't being that strict well, I agree. Here's here's what I was going to say. I, I don't disagree with any of that. Um, but what I was going to say is uh, I feel like this book doesn't necessarily show you that this is the first time Superman's met the Justice League. So I don't think that the actions of Superman number one and this book are necessarily in conflict with each other. No. no, but it's almost like, okay, Z- Z- again, Zach might 
know this reference better than you, Brian, but it's it's like sorry. Can we talk about something before 1999, guys. Come on. <laughs> but it, but I feel like it's like a it's almost like a long running anime series or manga where like sometimes they. Yeah, it's talking about Japanimation. Yeah, Japan. Yes. Okay, yep, cool. Japanimation yeah. started with Akira. Um, I just was... watched Akira last night for the first time. Oh man, that's a special. That's a special moment. Yeah, that's that only happens once in your life. Yeah, my wife fell asleep during it. Oh, she said, geez. "I don't, I don't like this. There's a lot of yelling." Eh, well, she's not wrong. <laughs> she's not wrong. What else has a lot of yelling is Dragon Ball, and oh that is a show where like they'll show you the same events over and over again to to pick you up to speed. You know, like like sometimes the first four minutes of an episode will be like a repeat of the last four minutes of the previous episode or whatever, you know? And I'm not saying this is a one-to-one comparison, but I'm saying like, again, for people who might jump in at a, in a different book or at a different issue, I feel like they're doing a lot of really small stuff to say like, Hey, look, this is what's going on. Or, you know, if, if you didn't know that, Superman met the Justice League before and they're suspicious of him, they're going to talk about it again right here for like a half a page. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fine if it's kept to a minimum. And I think for the most part, they've been doing it in a variety of ways. Like I think it's early, but they're doing a pretty good job of that so far. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that like, for instance, this issue was all about the Justice League reacting to new Superman. Whereas the issue of Superman was all about Jonathan Kent reacting to the Justice League. So it's not like it's showing us the same people's perspectives on this issue, on on this meeting. Right. It's showing us the different sides of it. And I think that that is really different than just showing us the same thing from two different. It's not just showing us how Batman feels about Superman and how Superman feels about Batman. These are two very different situations. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess I, I brought it up, not like meaning that they really con conflicted or like contradicted each other. It's just, I feel like this is an instance where we're getting kind of like the same idea or like the same plot beat multiple times. Right. Um, not, not like necessarily conflicting with each other, but just from different points of view and like it's being brought up a lot. And, um, which is, you know, that's comics, whatever, but it's just, I don't know, I feel like the way that they're going about it feels a bit different than maybe we, we would have seen in, like, a Marvel book or in the New 52 or something. Yeah. I, I gotta say, like, as a whole, if we're taking all the Rebirth books as a whole, including all the ones we're about to talk about, mm-hmm. they're all moving at this really slow pace, but a slow pace that I really am enjoying. Like they're taking everyone across the board is taking so much time for characterization and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like, would you agree or? Yeah, no. Yeah. And yeah, I agree. I like it. I I thought, I mean, I'm, we'll get into it. I thought this was a really, really good week overall. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. All right. Well, um, pull pirate or pulp justice league rebirth. I'm pulling. I'm, yeah, I'm, and I can't believe I'm saying that. Same here. Yeah, I like this a lot more than I expected. 
Good for us. Good for us, and good for DC. Thanks, Brian Hitch. Next, no, but Hitch isn't drawing this regularly. Is no, he? Tony Daniel is. Daniel, that's that's all right. I have a feeling this is going to be where you see like just I have no evidence of this, but I think you're going to see like um, if he's not completely bolting for um, for Kick Ass Three or whatever it's going to Kick Ass Four. Who knows what the fuck Kick Ass is up to now? I can see like John Romita Jr. doing an arc on this book. Mm. I could see I see this as kind of like the the superstar artist landing place. David Finch doing a an arc eventually. You know, just like. <sighs> This seems like that type of book to me, and for that reason, you got you asked before about continuity. I could see this as operating very little in the continuity of the mm-hmm. overall art. It's not, it's not kind a of like what Justice League of America was supposed to be. Yeah, or even like how, to a certain degree, the Dark Side War was. Yeah, Where like this is an incontinuity story told at its own pace. Mm-hmm. I guess he's something similar happening here. Yeah, which I think is an interesting way to approach like the big flag- flagship team book because mm-hmm. it, you know, you don't end up in a situation where like the events in a in a solo book preclude what happens in the team book. You know, right? So yeah, well, they do that in this very issue when they're like the Green Lantern. You know, if you want to see what the Green Lanterns are dealing with, read Green Lanterns. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's inexplicable that they fly out of nowhere to come help out with this, you know. Right, especially if you're reading Green Lanterns. Right. Like the, but, you know, yeah. But it doesn't yeah. matter, right? Like, exactly. Comics, folks. Yes. Comics. Okay. That's comics, baby. <laughs> Up next, Aquaman number two, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Scott Eaton. Um... I just want to note before we get into this issue, how much better is the little circular Suicide Squad ads on the cover of these <laughs> than the banners? Oh, yeah. Yes. A, the, a, another nice, small, but noticeable move. On this TV. reminds me of like I, I, when I was buying Marvel Comics in the late 80s, early 90s, how they would use the box where the UPC code would go. Yeah. And, if you, and they would like put you know a Spider-Man logo in there and say like, it's Spider-Man's 30th anniversary or whatever it was. They would just use that little space to do something. And it wasn't obtrusive. It was just small. These Suicide Squad ads, they're nice and small. They look good. They don't take away from the cover. Bravo, DC. Bravo, DC. Well said. Uh, Aquaman number two. We get the umpteenth telling of Aquaman killing Black Manta's father. Um, but it leads to a really wonderful comic. I really like this issue. Yeah. It um it progressed more than I feel like you would expect in in, in a superhero comic, you oh, know, yeah. in one issue. You I, got I thought it would have taken six issues to get to this point. Yeah, exactly. Like this was the end of an arc almost, you know, yes. in in a regular comic. Yeah. Um, Scott Eaton, you know, we've mentioned his cromulent work before. You know, he he's not Brad Walker, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but he does a really nice job with this book. I think I think it, it holds up well next to Walker's work, even if it's a little bit less um, special, maybe I'll say. But I want to hear what you guys say. But there's one scene in this I think is incredibly important to Rebirth as a whole, and Aquaman in particular. But uh, 
Can Zach I have a is... guess which one it is? No, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, oh, okay. Zach, you've kind of been verbally agreeing. Vince, what did you think of this issue? This was my favorite issue of the week and Whoa. possibly the best issue since Rebirth began. Wow. Wow. Who'd have and thought we'd be saying this about Aquaman? I can't believe I'm saying it, and I can only imagine if Brad Walker's art would have been in this, mm-hmm. how much better I would have thought it was on top of that. Yeah. But, but that's not to say that, like, everything you said about Eaton is true. He did a perfectly fine job. Like, there's nothing wrong with the Scott Eaton art. Um, he even drew Arthur, I think, sort of the same way that yeah, you yeah. know, from a design standpoint, that Brad Walker does kind of with that like glint in his eye and like the like something about his hair, you know, and like his eyebrows. I I don't know how to describe it, but he's like he's like w- like weirdly handsome in like a throwback way, like a like a um um <laughs> like a Fred Astaire style, you know. <laughs> Yeah, he's classically good-looking. Sorry, I'm getting lost in, in Aquaman's eyes here. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, but I thought the script by Dan Abnett was wonderful. I can't believe the same guy that wrote <laughs> eight issues of Titan's Hunt. And I'm <laughs> I'm familiar with, with Dan Abnett, Abnett's work, and like I've enjoyed his Marvel work. I've enjoyed his creator-owned work. But I can't believe that that guy wrote that book and this script like the stuff where he's facing off with black manta and he turns the trident on himself that was the point that i think is is incredibly important oh god Mm -hmm. that whole thing was just perfect it's so super heroic it's super heroic it's it was well written it's it it was believable for as far as a superhero comic is concerned and I know you're going to say something about how important it is for Rebirth or whatever, but what I want to get in is that it's something that is classic in the way that, like, a Tim and Dini cartoon mm-hmm. was classic. Like, like they're, they're not going around slaughtering bad guys all the time, and, like, they're they're not killing heroes off in their cartoons very often, you know? And so, like, how do you deal with a conflict between Aquaman and his greatest foe? Like, how often does this end in, like, violence or in, you know, somebody dying on either side, you know? And instead, it ends with the bad guy surrendering. Like, that's perfect. That's that's what we've wanted, I think, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree with what you said more. To me, this felt like... It felt like what a superhero comic should be. It was it was a character acting truly selflessly. It was and and he was he was so heroic. He inspired his biggest villain. <laughs> like to me, that's a superhero. It's just it was so good, and you know I I, I think that this is I mean tonally. How different is this than what Jeff Johns is giving us? Oh. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's night and day. Um, I think this was such a good comic and had such 
heart and hope to it that it really makes me excited for what's coming. I just hope that this isn't going to be the high point for Arthur, and then we're going to break him down for the next year. <laughs> yeah, let's let's think positive. Yeah, yeah. gives you uh, this this. Uh, maybe I I don't even want to say this because I'm going to jinx it, but it gives me a little bit more hope for Titans. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Wow. So kudos, Abnett. Yeah. Uh, after issue two of Aquaman, are all three of us pulling this book? Oh, yeah. 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 I'm pulling it hard, man. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> um, that brings us to Batman number two, written Ooh. by Tom King, illustrated by David Finch. Now, Boy. let me get this off my chest to begin with. This is a much better comic than number one was. Yeah, it was. It it was I, better. I still have problems with it, but it's better than number one was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I want to hear what you guys have to say more, and then I'll jump in later. Zach, take it away. So there were things about this that I liked, um, but nothing that I I still don't feel like there's anything distinctly king like kingly about it <laughs> you know well like i feel every like everything else that i've ever read of him is distinct has a distinct voice which you know even for like a relatively new writer is special um but i still don't hear him in this there were some really great moments like um the bit with alfred and the katana yeah that was a great like, line that was a great line, but that is like. Except that beforehand, Bruce says, "I don't trust. I don't even trust Alfred." Well, I took that. I thought that was kind of like, you know, she's kind of joking. God, I hope so. I, you know, I don't know, but you know, I, I really liked that scene. But it was balanced out by, um, or what? There was something else that he said that I was just like, ugh. I can't find it now. I thought it was something in the Grundy spot at the beginning that just kind of made me groan. How he finishes the Grundy poem? Because I Maybe. love that. Maybe, I have, no, I have I don't no think problem with it. him finishing the Grundy poem. No, that wasn't it. I can't remember where it was, but there was something else in the issue that I was like, ugh. But, yeah, I don't know. It's still not... It still feels kind of disjointed... It looks like that, you know, they're already they're seeding the the Monster Men storyline, which I thought was really weird to be doing at this point, you know, when this like story arc hasn't even really gotten going. Yeah. Well, if I like that kind of stuff, but it's it seems to take like, like a bigger place in the story than I expected. From what I understand, Hugo Strange is going to uh uh be the catalyst for that so right right but it's you know it's they're juggling that along with the like cobra slash gotham gotham girl sure there's just a lot of plate spinning right now yeah um i don't like the way king writes alfred in general i think that katana scene was was okay 
I just think he comes off as like one of the things I liked about Alfred was that Alfred is always yes he nags and yes he pesters, but he really loves Bruce, and I see no instance of that here. See, I I just thought that was like him like his dry like very dry humor, you know. And he's been this way ever since, you know. Just like I don't even mean that part of it. I mean like um, you know um. Yes, Gotham City is in the chaos. What a shock, sir. Like, he's just, I don't know. It just, it just seems to me like Why he's he so, okay, now that reminds me. That reminds me. I like his of, Ringo voice. Like, of, like, Batman animated series Alfred. To, see, to me, there was, oh, I, I don't know. It just, Alfred came off too cold to me. I, I guess my Alfred stories I like are, uh, he's a little bit warmer. <laughs> but for some reason. <laughs> All right, so there's a scene where Bruce Wayne is dancing seductively with Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then he's like, "I have to go." And when the way he, the way Alfred is written, I picture him saying, "Like Alfred, Alfred. <laughs> give me my shoes. Where are my shoes, Alfred? Alfred, hey, hey, with my coat, Alfred, Alfred." Like a little kid doing it. it just it was so bratty. Okay. Just, oh, that okay. I think this Batman is a really unlikable Batman. Oh, I think yeah. we're going to come to find that. Yeah. <laughs> that. King's Batman is just the worst. But see, okay. Yes, I agree. Meatloaf! <laughs> the meatloaf! Fuck! Wow, what a, is that better or worse than an Austin Powers spree? I don't know. That we went on that one time? Okay, yes. um... <laughs> Yeah, I suspect that you guys are right about how unlikable this Batman is, mm-hmm. but that's what kills me about this book because um uh like I I find pockets of things to really like about it and and we'll talk about this again when we get to Green Arrow because this book is like the flip side of Green Arrow to me because there's stuff I like about this and I sh- like on its face I should like it but I can't get past its faults. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, I can't ignore them in the way that we'll talk about with green arrow. But, um, but like that opening scene where he finishes the poem for, for Grundy, like that is totally the, the mix of like dark and goofy Batman that I want. Like I could totally see Grant Morrison's Batman doing that, you know, would he be in the Morrison room? He would be in the Morrison room. Yep, okay. that was that was yeah. Yep, they love them references. But yep. then then you get him like chastising the Gotham people and like saying you know in in point seven seconds he would have uh, been trampled. This old man, you know, like I'm I don't know if I'm a fan of like computer brain Batman who has everything down to the millisecond. You know. Yeah. I guess I'm more of a fan of like the the loose like relying on gadgets and like flying by the seat of his pants Batman. And I guess that's why I'm disappointed that in like the first issue he was just resigned to die, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then in this issue he's he's talking to the Gotham and Gotham girl and then he's like sitting in his bat cave ruminating about it. Mhm. And he's talking as if he does, as if there is no Justice League. You right. Know? He's like, I knew I was dead. I knew the options. I knew there weren't any options. 
There's going to be others, Alfred. Other planes, asteroids, aliens. I won't be able to stop them. I'll die. Then Dick will take my place. Then he'll die. That's what the Justice League is there for. Well, that's all very intriguing, Master Bruce. <laughs> I said this a couple weeks ago, but like they're writing—he's writing Bruce as if they're as if Justice League doesn't exist at all. Not just yeah. they're away for a minute, you know. Mm-hmm. He's like pondering mortality as if there is as if these are the first Supermen that he's ever met, you know. Yes. This this Bruce is basically like a teenager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like thank the, you. the emo Bruce. Where, yeah, the scene where like um, Gordon is, you know, like, oh, do you know anything about the the Monster Men? Does that mean anything to you? And he's just like the close up on his eyes, and he's just like, no. And he's <laughs> he's just like, you, <laughs> his like bangs swoop over his yeah. eyes, and <laughs> he's... oh god. <laughs> And he, do- um, and he doesn't let his black friend do anything. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> is really- it, speaking of black friends, is it just me or is Jim Gordon essentially just Danny Glover from Lethal Weapon in this book? <laughs> it's like, I'm too old for this shit. Is yeah. it really easier to fight crime with a mask on? I think it would itch. Just like, oh, just like grizzled old cop expressions. And again, like one, one of the best things about Gordon is that Everybody in Gotham distrusts Batman except for Gordon. Right. And Gordon has this like really mute. There's a mutual admiration side between Gordon and Batman. He's got the sense that Gordon is just bothered by this. <laughs> like he can't be bothered to fuck around with any of this. You know. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like the guy comes into his office. He's like, God damn it. Here's another. He's really unhappy being a cop. Yeah, everybody's unhappy in this book. Everyone's unhappy, and I'm unhappy that they're not giving Duke anything to do. I really yes. am. Like, I'm sure it'll happen at some point, and I don't want to be like the quick twitch, like, ah, they're sidelining the black character again. But that's what it feels like at this point, you know? Absolutely. Like, three issues in, if you include the rebirth thing, give him something to do by now. Yes. He's done nothing. He was, he was, Bruce told Alfred, like, make sure he's a thing. Like, when he, when he was dying, like, you know, it's, there was uh, so little to do. Um, can I complain about David Finch for a minute? Sure. Can he draw Gotham Girl's skirt any shorter? <laughs> it's, like, distractingly short in points. And not even, like, it's try, he's trying to make it sexy. Because I don't think he is. I think he just doesn't know how female clothing works. Yeah. Uh, it's uh To quote my father, it's so short you can see what she had for lunch. Well, like, but, the, but the thing is that you can't, which it, the anatomy there is like I'm looking at the 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 splash page where they're flying in front of the yeah. the bat signal and like that's just not possible. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like her no, like <laughs> Have you I get... just have you guys seen the viral picture of the ham sandwich that's floating around today? No. Oh. Well, never mind. Uh, <laughs> okay, it's probably best we leave that be. <laughs> um, okay, so. Sorry. Before we get to the last couple of pages, I do kind of like the idea that Batman can disappear and even X-ray vision can't find him. I kind of like that. 
Yeah, but at the same time, like, maybe he's just not in the direction that Gotham is looking at. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, uh, I read an interview with Tom King today, and he said that there's a part in Morrison's JLA where Superman says that he can see through everything, but he never tells him Batman's sneaking up on him. And I feel like that's just the difference to me between Morrison's Batman and King's Batman. Like, Morrison explains how Batman is not, like, this brooding teenage dickhead. But he is something unique and is something special. And I feel like King's Batman is just... Even if he is the world's best detective, and even if he can slip away undetected, he's still kind of a dick. Yeah. Um, but let's get to the uh, the last couple of pages here. Vince just sent a link that I'm not clicking on till we're done because I don't oh want to. Oh my s- gosh. Oh, now I have to. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. I'm sorry. Oh. oh. oh fucking internet. Um, okay, so we get this last scene where. There's somebody named Roger who is being coached in sort of visuals how to, how to, you know, I guess how to look. I don't even know how to describe this. But anyway, he's being coached by three people, by Hugo Strange, General Sam Lane, and uh, Amanda Waller. Now, I think it's interesting to have General Lane outside of a Superman comic. I can kind of get down with that. I feel like Amanda Waller is going to be everywhere for the next six months because of the Suicide Squad movie. I can understand that. Hugo Strange, fine bat villain. But let me ask you guys this question. Is Roger the Joker from the from Snyder's Batman run? So I think he's Psycho Pirate. Really? Why? Because Psycho Pirate was Roger Hayden, and he's going through the faces. Oh, that's oh. a really good. Yeah, I like that. But I was looking at the second image there, the smiling face, and tell me that doesn't look Jokerish to you? Oh, it's super Jokery. Oh yeah, and for I... sure. I thought maybe because Amanda Waller is credited with saving Gotham City and wouldn't, like, getting the Joker under control and not killing anybody, couldn't that be construed as a way to save Gotham City? What if... I mean, it would make totally make sense for him to be a Joker. I don't know if he's... So you're saying he's Snyder and Capullo's Joker. He's the Joker that was cured. Yeah. I See, that's what I thought at first, Brian. But now that Zach says that, I wonder if there's not a longer con here. Yeah. Because that... It being Psycho Pirate would be so subtle. But you're, he's right. It's Roger Hayden. And Psycho Pirate always used to have like the faces on his. I'm, I'm buying what Zach's selling. 
I think that'd be cool. My fear, now that he's saying that, is that this is going to be too cute and that that's the reason we can have three Jokers is because one of them is the Psycho Pirate who can, you know, remember all this stuff from the past and all that. I'm, I don't I, like I don't like that. I'm I kind of like that even. <laughs> Honestly, I do. I mean, you're entitled to your bad opinion. I'm not going to stop. You, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, to me, to me, that just seems a little bit too on the nose. Yeah. Well, it doesn't necessarily mean that he he is that psycho pirate. I think I think Zach's got it. Is it we're gonna we're we're gonna get T-shirts that say Zach was right. Zach was right. Okay. I'll wear that shirt in the log in the predictions book. <laughs> <laughs> um, so after issue two of Batman, pull pirate or pulp the series. Pirate, psycho pirate. Psycho pirate. <laughs> <laughs> it was meant to be. Yeah. Yeah, pi- pirate. I'm. There's there's little things that I like, but this book is so faulty. Yeah, I Do you guys want to hear a really bad thing I read today? It's not a spoiler. You read it's Batman not. number 1 again? Yeah, very funny. <laughs> I uh, no, I read this interview with Tom King. And King has this there's a couple of things in the interview where he said I was like, "Oh, that makes total sense." Like he said that he really believes that if if Batman could be convinced tomorrow that if he retired, Gotham would be better off, he would stop being Batman. And I agree with that. I, I think Batman's very pragmatic in that way. I don't know what he'd do with his time, but I, I could see Bat- I could see Bruce saying, no, my job is to make Gotham better. If I can do that by stepping down, I should do that. And he's, he says that one of the major thrusts of this arc is, is he the best hero for Gotham? And then he says, and we won't find out the answer to that until issue 22. Jesus. No. Yes, I swear to you that's what he said. (laughs) And the answer is yes. Yeah. (laughs) Jesus Christ. You know what? More power to him. Yeah, that's fine. Let's ride this pony. Well, let's let's hop off that pony and hop onto Green Arrow number two, written by Ben Percy, illustrated by Otto Schmidt. Um, to me, this issue was more of the same of this book. It looks really good. There's some really interesting Oliver Queen, Diana Lance stuff going on. The dialogue is still clunky as shit, and it does what I think is a really lazy job of resetting Oliver's life. Yet again. Yeah, for like the yeah. umpteenth time. So here's here's what I think about this book. The, this, Like I said, it was like the coin flip to the other side of the coin to Batman right uh-huh. now. Because this book's got a bunch of flaws, mostly in the dialogue and you know maybe a little bit in the plotting. Um... But 
I'm starting I'm starting to not only be able to look past those flaws, but I actually like some of it on some like for its faults, you know. Okay. Like like the book opens up <laughs> really lazily cribbing the tears in the rain speech from Blade Runner. Mhm. It's all right to cry when the rain hides your tears, you know. That's like that's so bad. Okay? But I read that and I was like, yes. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's just let's keep doing this, you know? And like I'm just I'm liking it more and more every week because I can look past those faults and even find something to enjoy in them, you know? And Otto Schmidt's art is glorious. I love looking at it. So I'm totally all in with this book right now, um, despite its faults, you know. Um, yeah, I, I love this book. Yeah, I, I really like this book a lot. It's I, it's won me over at this point. Um, like, the art is just gorgeous. That intro, um, you know, just, like, out out on the ocean and then leading up to that, two-page spread of the the like floating fortress or whatever like that just looks so good um i liked the bit with black canary even though her like closing little bit of dialogue was a little hokey uh i can't remember exactly what is what she said i I need to pull it up but yeah i like this book i like where it's going um i feel like you know last issue we had kind of talked about how it seemed like Percy was kind of shuffling characters off the board, but I think um, now he's kind of seeding that, like, Emiko is um, kind of, like, playing a, you know, double, triple agent, because it, it seems like there was that bit where she placed the, her tracer was on Ollie. Right. So it seemed, you know, that was intentional, I think. Told ya. So, yeah, I, I don't think that we're shuffling like any characters off the board really i do think you mean except, except except for henry who saves ollie's life and then is like no dude got no cash can't yeah, play. Okay. Peace. yeah. nobody yeah. likes henry fife anyway nobody exactly I mean, that's true but he, he <laughs> yeah but um i do think it's a little frustrating that like like you mentioned we're kind of reshuffling the deck i feel like this happens with oliver I feel like this happened during Lemire's run too. Didn't he lose everything then? Everything the blew first, up. Yeah. First yeah, everything blew up. Run, yeah. The building blew up with the entire supporting cast in it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they're bringing Diggle in, which like whatever. Lemire did that also. Did he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It looks really pretty. And I like Black Canary. And. Yeah, I, I like this I, one. I really like the scene of her using Batgirl's tech and then like yeah, yeah, being, like doing detective work. Like that was you know, I mean it wasn't mind blowing detective work or anything, but it it was a nice touch. Yeah, yeah. I, I have less of an issue with this book than I thought I would at this point. A, a big part of that is Otto Schmidt's art. When he's off for next arc, it's Juan Ferreira who I really like as well. Mm-hmm. But I'm interested to see if the if the uh, if their styles wind up working well together. Yeah, you know we shall see. Um, 
Pull Pirate and Pulp, are you guys both pulling this? I'm pulling this. I'm pulling it. I, I'm still pirating it, but I'm on the verge of pulling it. All right. One more good issue, and I think I can, I'm, I'm, in, I'm on board. Yeah, baby. Can I ask you guys a, a question before we move on from this? Sure, sure. This is like a trivia-type question. Okay. So in this book, they're ostensibly facing off against something called the Ninth Circle. Mm-hmm. Do you guys remember there was like a John Byrne written uh, uh, JLA book back in the like early or mid 2000s where it was like a six issue arc that was called the Tenth Circle, mm-hmm. and it was like yes. it was like vampires. Yes. Does this have anything to do with that, or is it just a coincidence because there's nine circles of hell, and that was? Like I think it's just a coincidence. Yeah. Okay. So the, okay. I all right. There's nothing. Comic, comic writers have like a, a comically, pardon the pun, a comically large hard on for Dante's Inferno, mm-hmm. and for referencing that at, at whenever possible. Sure. So I just, I just see this as, as more of that. Okay. I didn't know if there was some obvious link, like just. That I wasn't remembering or something. No, I feel like that John Byrne series was as close to being out of continuity as you got in that time. Yeah. Like, you know, it just it wasn't anything all that important. Um, that brings us to Green Lanterns number two, written by Sam Humphreys, the art by Robson Rocca. Roca, Rocca, I'm not exactly sure that's pronounced. Um, Rosha. Rosha? No, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> um, we get a little more of the Red Lantern's overall plan here, and then we get to see we see um, Jessica's sister infected by rage, and then we see her and Simon kind of bicker the whole issue as to sort of what the best plan of attack here is. We get a little bit more of Jessica and her sister, and I guess that's about it for the issue. Um what did you guys think of this issue? Zach, take it away. I, I, I liked it. It's probably my... I don't want to say it was my least favorite. It was maybe on par with Batman that, at the bottom. Um, I really don't like Simon in this, but I really, really like Jessica a lot. Like... I wanted to. I was going to mention it during the Justice League part, but I saved it for now. Um, she's one of my favorite characters, I think, coming into Rebirth, and um, I really liked the like flashback scene to the night before with her and her sister, and them just kind of like talking to the ring and going through that. I thought it did like a really good job of like establishing the mythology for people who maybe aren't super familiar, and also just kind of like giving the ring a personality, which isn't something that I feel like happens very often. Um, and yeah, I liked all of that, but man, I just like red lanterns. Don't care. Oh, don't care. Yeah. So yeah, that Simon are like the major detractors for me. The art I feel like is, you know, pretty, pretty like standard superhero comic art. Um, so I, you know, I can't really knock it for that. I do wish it had like, a slightly more distinctive look to it, um, which I feel like most of the books we, you know, end up really praising are the books that have the the distinctive visual styles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, I feel like that's, you know, maybe the thing really holding it back at this point. Um, 
remember we were saying how we couldn't believe how fast Aquaman moved? <sighs> this is the exact opposite of that. Yeah. Yeah. This is not quite Bendis level decompression, but it's not that far off from that. Um, like this whole scene, most of this comic takes place in a Walmart. And not in an all that interesting Walmart either. Like, you know, there's a little bit of flashback stuff. And, yeah, this stuff is nice character building and all that. I have no real problem with it. It just, to me, feels like this could have been one scene almost just as easily. There could have been a little bit less of Jessica talking to herself and, like, hiding in the corner and things. And just do the flashback scene and uh, a significantly shorter scene in the Walmart. Or yeah. Lexmart, whatever they call it. Um, it just feels very decompressed to me. And I know we're getting like an issue later this year about just about Simon's gun. <laughs> yeah. And we're getting another issue I think is just about Jessica's like uh, the, the the three years she spent in her apartment. I think aren't we supposed to get an issue about that too, maybe? I hope so. That would be great. Probably. But like so that is a fun diversion to me. Not fun. That's not the right word for it. But it's interesting. Interesting, interesting yeah. diversion. I feel like so much of this book so far has been, I think it's an interesting, I like the characters put together. You know, I'm not a fan of the Red Lanterns, but I just feel like there's so little happening on the page right now. Um, it reminds me actually in a lot of ways of what Aquaman was like in the New 52. Yeah. You're right. Can we talk about how Simon steals a teddy bear? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Got, thank you, Zach. I was gonna bring that up, and uh, also his like throwaway line about I would shoot up this whole place if it meant saving oh, my sister. Oh like, gosh, that we're trying and, uh, to establish and, uh, him as uh, not a terrorist. Stop right. making him do terroristic things and say terroristic things. Right. I learned it. Grimy as street races in Detroit. Yeah. I'm at the end of my rope here with the whole Simon thing. And it's not, it's entirely the way everyone insists on writing him. You know, I want to like this guy. Like I want him to be a character that I look forward to reading about. Mm -hmm. And they just can't like on, on their own, each of those instances is not that big of a deal like oh i would i would shoot up this whole place if it meant saving my sister well yeah okay anyone would say that right like i i don't know if anyone no 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 no. but the sent the sentiment you know what i mean like (laughs) yeah i would do anything to save my brother because he's my brother right right but you have a muslim like not terrorist that has been identified as that for years now and then you have him say that you know it's not quite as egregious as if him being like you know i would commit jihad for a good sandwich but like it's not that far off like it's it it's it's using terroristic threats to uh, to hammer home a point where he could have just said i know what you mean i would do anything for my sister right done yeah done yeah but like we got Somehow we have to, like, establish him as a good guy, and then he keeps reminding everybody that, like, I don't know. Oh, no, it's weird. It's weird. 
it, it really bothers me because I want I want that character to succeed because you need characters like that, and like you you want diversity to succeed, <laughs> and that's just not the right way to do it. Well, and he he looks like a psychopath yes, in this issue. Like every image of him, he has like those big eyes. And or like uh, the yeah, Joker grin, yeah, and he's driving like his construct Re-com- car, like yeah. wildly grabbing Jessica with an eye. I kind of thought that was cool, grabbing her out of the air with the thing. Uh huh. I don't know. Yeah, he just he just seen. He's getting his mansplain on and <laughs> yeah, the panels. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's really, it's. Brian, I think you said earlier, maybe it was Zach, that the that you know these Green Lanterns sounded like they do in this book over in Justice League. I pref- I would rather read Simon Baz in Justice League. Oh, I agree. What, yeah. What I meant was that they were like I feel like sometimes in team books they're unrecognizable from their other stories. Yeah. I didn't feel that way. Right. I felt their banter back and forth was similar. Yeah. But yeah, this is um I'm pirate leaning towards pulp. I think another couple of issues of this and I'm I'm off the book for a while. Yeah, at this point I almost kind of want to just like wait and see what the next arc is. Yes. I'm, I'm... I'll re- I'll read it. I'm going to say pirate just because it's Green Lantern and I'm going to read it. I know I'm going to read it, but yeah, I'm leaning towards pulp too. I, I'm just gonna go ahead and pulp it because uh, I can't get over how disappointed I am because I think on the week that it first came out, it was my favorite yeah. issue, and now it's like this was easily my least favorite of the week, and it's just it's making the same mistakes over and over with the character that that they should know better than to fumble in that way I don't mm-hmm. know I don't know help us Rob Venditti you're our only hope <laughs> oh, those, are, those are some words <laughs> and <laughs> that brings us to Superman number two by Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason um, another stellar Superman issue yeah there's so much good stuff in this comic There's great father-son stuff. Gleason's Superman looks so Superman-y. Um, you know, there's there's a couple of panels here where you would swear this came from a comic in in like 1999. Was he still Electric Blue at that point? Let's say like 2002, 2003. Um, there's just so much classic Superman here. There's a really nice moment of Clark trying to teach Jonathan how to use his heat vision. It's just, it's so good, guys. Yeah. Yeah, this is, man, Gleason is just, he's killing it. Like, that guy, (sighs) he's just, like, next level right now. Yeah. Um. It, it's awesome. And yeah, like you said, you know, just great character moments. Um, 
I really, really like what they're doing with John, Jonathan. Yeah. Um, it's just setting him up, giving him, you know, a, a supporting cast with the, the girl, the little girl. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man, I just like that. That scene where, where the jacket comes off and he has the Superman shirt on. Yeah. Like I thought that was like so evocative of like 90s Superboy. Just with, the, I mean, the jackets are different, but it just reminded me of that. Yeah. And it made me smile. Um, and then I thought, hey, this Superman still remembers that Superboy. And then I got a little sad. That's uh, true. Yeah. Um, I even okay. liked Clark being kind of a dick to that girl's grandfather. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it made sense. He's being protective. Exactly. Um, you know... So I enjoyed this so much that I didn't even really mind the Eradicator showing up. <laughs> right, right. Which I'm ready for the Eradicator. I can't <laughs> wait. I so do you think the this is related to what's going on in action comics? Maybe. Do you think this is building to something? I, I think it's just another instance of like all these supermen coming, you know. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. If if this is, yeah, building to something like that. On on one hand, this kind of bothers me because we just got this in the Death of Superman story, mm-hmm. not you know the the most recent one. Yeah. Um, an, like an energy being being made from you know Clark's energy or whatever. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I like the, I like the eradicator. (laughs) See here, here's the thing, right? If we, we've seen how Batman is doing their first, how the bat books are doing their first crossover, Mm -hmm. the night of the monster men, where it's going to be, you know, at the end of the first arc, we're going to get a little interlude with the story that connects the books, the super books, if if they're building to something kind of similar, maybe after the second arc, there's a little like Superman story that goes on with the new Clark Kent and Superman and the Eradicator and Steel and Jonathan Kent and Lex Luthor. I could dig that. I just don't want to see the books. Like I like the fact that there is such different stories happening in action in Superman. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily want those to come together anytime soon for more than a short time. I feel like that's coming though. And I feel like that's when we're going to get the um, like first big, I could see at the end of year one, a crossover, like wrapping up year one and we get like a big reveal on Mr. Oz or something like that. Yeah. We get fully jergens. <laughs> ready uh vince you've been a little bit quiet about this issue did you enjoy it as well i loved it i yeah. loved it so much i i i would only echo the things that you guys have already said but i just want to point out a couple things you didn't talk about um i love the exchange between uh superman and jonathan when he says you're not like the boy who outgrew this shirt and donated it yeah you know like it's just, it's just really well well written, you know. He's he's not talking down to his son, but he's talking to his son in a way that like a 
uh, 12-year-old or whatever he's supposed to be um, would understand, you know. Mm-hmm. And and then that leads into the whole thing with, you know, if you tell your mother what happened to the cat, I think she'd be proud, you know, et cetera, et cetera. All of that stuff is so, like, heartwarming. A recurring theme in, like, the best books of Rebirth so far is that, like, I don't even care if they ever get to the action sometimes. Right. <laughs> like, the ex- the exchanges and the characterization has been so on point for the most part um, that I just want to see more and more of this. And the other thing I want to talk about before we, before we move on or whatever um, is how often... Notice how often uh, Gleason draw... Instead of drawing Superman... Like without his red trunks, under, red underwear. Yeah, he, it's it's obscured in shadow all the time. Yep, he's constantly putting it in shadow, and I think part of that is because it looks stupid when it's all blue from like head to toe. Mm-hmm. Like uh-huh. it, it really does look dumb. I think. Like I'm not huge like getting hung up on costumes guy, but costumes weren't great. Zero out of ten. <laughs> Zero out of ten. B man, but like. I, I think he understands that you need something to break that up, you know? Yeah, that little red belt doesn't do... It doesn't do it. That belt's not holding up the pants. See, no. I, I had a kind of a different thought about that. Uh-huh. I wonder if at one point the red trunks were back on the table. Uh-huh. And so he illustrated it with that in, in mind, and then when it, when it wasn't, they had to then shadow it up. That's interesting. Just, but, uh, just bring them back. But, yeah. yeah, couldn't you just like color that over blue... Anyway, but because I, I do, I do see what you mean. Like, there's the image of, um, like Clark and Jonathan just standing talking to each other, and there is a trunk shaped void. Yeah, even just look, look at the cover. Like he's flying through the clouds because the cloud covers his Johnson because it used to be red. Like it was. It's just, uh, I feel oh, like you're a, right. Oh, yeah, that's weird. There's so many instances of that in this book where. It should, you know, like even when he's shaking the hand of the people on the freighter, yeah, like everything is just. There's so many instances of of where it was supposed to be red trunks. Yeah, I don't know. What if his it's weird? What if his dick and balls are in the Phantom Zone? <laughs> <laughs> See now, it, this is why I'm not paid to write comics. I would just have him like flying through Kansas and like fly. It threw somebody's like wash line outside that happened to have red underwear on there, and it's just on him, and he's like, "Oh, looks good, done." Like, you know, no explanation, just like you know, yeah. he likes the look. It's comfortable. Lois, where did you get those? Whose underwear are those? <laughs> Don't worry about it. He's like, this support is fantastic. You know, just something like that. Just you know, one line that's done. These were Martha's granny panties. <laughs> I'd be great too if they were just like tidy whities that had been dyed reddish pink in the wash, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, or like stained with something, you know? <laughs> Gosh. Um, oh. now before we go, I, we're going to give our contact info here in a second. So um, if folks want to harass us on Twitter about our hot takes on these books, they can tweet at me at Brian into nap. Where can they find you guys? Vince, you go. Oh, at VJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. 
And I'm at SirFox89. Now, uh, somebody on Twitter yesterday referred to the co-publisher of DC as Dan Dio, <laughs> which got <laughs> us thinking about if Dan Dio was the brother of Ronnie James Dio, Metal God, the late singer of bands like Rainbow and Dio, and for a few albums, uh, Black Sabbath. And so I promised the Multiversity staff that I would give a little rendition of a Dio song in the voice of Dan Dio. So I'm only I'm, I'm going to kind of William Shatner this in so much as like, I'm not really singing them. Just, you know, you guys know what I mean. So I got to hit the mute button. Hold on. So this is this is for Black Sabbath's The Mob Rules. Close the city and tell the people there's something coming to call. Death and darkness are rushing forward. Take a bite from the wall. Oh, you've got nothing to say. They're breaking away. If you listen to fools, the mob rules. <laughs> oh, I love it. That was actually perfect. I, I think you, you've really got something there. Okay. I'm I'm dead serious. Like well, um, somebody what, record that. What would the Dio's Sabbath tribute band be called? Oh no. Um. Uh. God, something, something, Dick Grayson. Uh, yes. <laughs> oh man. Um. I don't know, man. I can't think of anything funny. Okay. I was trying to find something with, um, you know, the new 52 to work that in. Or, um, like, Infinite Crisis comes up a lot. Yeah. um, Uh, Grayson, bloody Grayson is all I can think of. Oh boy. Well, anyway, stay tuned next week. Maybe maybe I'll do a selection from Heaven and Hell or from Dehumanizer. We'll see. We'll see what happens next week on the DC3cast. Good night everybody. Good night.